This is Man Afraid of Everything. I was at Cantini Park in Wheaton, Illinois, exploring the First Division Museum. It featured a collection of military history from the First Infantry Division of the U.S. Army. I'd been to the museum before, but this time I noticed a new exhibit hall. I stepped in and a museum guide introduced me to Duty First, their latest gallery. It focused on peacekeeping missions beyond the 1970s. In the center of the room was a full-scale model of a Black Hawk helicopter. Inside was a bench. A few people were seated, wearing virtual reality headsets. I wasn't sure what they were doing. So while I tried to figure it out, I strolled around and pretended to look at other things. There were displays showcasing real artifacts from the battlefield, including uniforms, IEDs, and an actual piece of the Berlin Wall. I glanced at the VR. Do I want to try that? I don't know. I was afraid of motion sickness. I've heard if the screen gets blurry or there's a delay, it can cause nausea and vomiting. What if I throw up on my shoes? At least I wasn't wearing sandals. Are there warning signs? Extra saliva? Upset stomach? Or is it just, I don't feel so good. Oh God. What about eye strain? Dizziness? What if I get a nasty headache? At Disney World, I went on a ride called Mission Space. Afterward, I had an awful headache for like an hour. They've tamed it down since then, but I'll never know how tame because I'm never riding that thing again. That was a motion simulator though. This experience was stationary. Plus, they've made improvements to virtual reality in the last few decades. Frame rates are supposed to be better, images more crisp, and there's less lag. But I also wasn't a fan of using a shared headset. How often are they wiped down? Do they smell like sweat? I also didn't know how intense it'd be. I've heard haunted house games in VR can be frightening. Jump scares and loud sounds startle everyone. But with a VR headset, you can't plug your ears. What about loud explosions? People jumping out and shooting at me? The only way to know if it'd be a sensory overload was to try it. If you want to get afraid, write, draw, trash, and explore your way through my Get Afraid journal, an interactive paperback I released last summer. Check it out at getafraid.com. My stop at the First Division Museum was on a weekday, so there were only a handful of people in the exhibit. If I got sick, at least there wouldn't be very many witnesses. I queued up and the worker gave us a little background on the experience. Our team was headed in with the first division on a night raid to find a bomb maker. I glanced at a digital timer next to the helicopter and thought, it's only a few minutes long. I can handle it. The counter hit zero and I took a seat on the bench. The worker placed an Oculus Rift on my head. It was a little heavy. He said if it was blurry, I could tighten the straps and reposition the screen. I didn't want to take a chance, so I tightened it right away. The anticipation made me nervous. Can I control the volume? Is it going to be shaky? The film began. I was immediately immersed. It was dark and I was crammed inside of a helicopter with other soldiers. I checked my surroundings through my night vision goggles. Up, down, left, right. The entire inside of the helicopter was on display. When the helicopter door opened, we jumped out. The soldiers gathered around an entry point to the compound and set charges. After a bang and flash, we busted inside. It was a little disorienting to be sitting 
while walking virtually. But we swept through room by room looking for people, weapons, and explosives. We found AK-47s on a wall in the kitchen. In another room, we found a cluster of people, but we didn't know if they were good or bad. I swiveled my head around the whole time, just looking around, because I thought it was cool that I could. So I just got out of the First Division Museum's virtual reality thing, and uh, there's kids yelling in the background. And it's kind of stressful because you don't know what's behind each door or what's behind you or in each corridor and like it was a little disorienting when when it was moving it made me a little dizzy i was like starting to get a little nervous and i closed my eyes for a little bit just to kind of like get out of that world but i got over it pretty quickly my initial wave of nervousness dissipated with time and exposure it was more like a virtual reality movie with a storyline not a free roaming game enemies didn't pop out with weapons there wasn't any gunfire. There were just several explosions and tense moments when we burst into new rooms or crept down hallways. The screen was a little blurry at times, and I didn't have to worry about the volume, but the first-person point of view could be a little unsettling. Thankfully, when we entered certain rooms, the camera became stationary. It gave my eyes time to relax and take a break. It's like I was in good hands, but whose hands was I in? My name is Barbara Seidel, and I'm a senior producer director at Northern Light Productions in Boston. Northern Light Productions and Lucy Creative were the masterminds behind the interactive exhibit. The piece was filmed at the 1st Infantry Division's training facility in Fort Riley, Kansas. Real soldiers, real helicopter, real combat protocol. The mandate, like from the beginning, it's, we understood over and over and over again, we want this to be as realistic as possible. This cannot be Hollywood. This is not a video game. The goal, the objective of doing this virtual reality piece is to create some engaged empathy for museum visitors, for the U.S. soldiers. What is it like to be a U.S. soldier in this situation? But they had to be careful. They needed to be thoughtful about the level of intensity. Because it needed to pass the bullshit test. You know, you couldn't have veterans coming in and going, ugh, you know, this is just, <laughs> this is a little Disney ride. And have that be disrespectful and have it be um, a disservice to everything that they had done. So it had to be sufficiently intense to be accurate, but it also had to be accessible to family members you know, kids 8, 9, 10 years old. They also took steps to avoid the motion sickness I was so worried about. You know, it's generally not considered good form to have your museum visitors getting sick inside the exhibit. So the way that works for VR is to not be in this moving image all the time where you can look around and you can look up and you can look down, and it's, it gets to be a, little, a lot for people. So we intercut the 360 video with 180-degree fisheye GoPro video. So you could kind of regroup and restabilize yourself. And the other thing that you can do is put things in the foreground in the shot. So in our virtual uh, reality experience, you can see the gun, you can see your hands, you can see other soldiers in front of you, so it's not just this grand expanse, which people tend to get a little woozy. And then we were able to test that out because one of the guys on our team has some challenges with dizziness and stableness. And so everything that we did, we tested uh, on him. And if he was comfortable, we felt like we were in pretty good shape for the general public. 
To make sure the experience was realistic while they were shooting, Barbara had... You know, at least five advisors standing behind me who have been doing trainings and have been um, you know, high-level secret service military personnel for their entire careers, and they're the ones training these guys. And whenever I did a shot, I would finish the shot, and I, you know, they'd come through the house, they'd break down a door, they'd jump out of the helicopter or whatever it was, and I'd turn around and say, how was that for protocol? Did they get it right? And the commanders would say, uh, well, ma'am, they could probably do it better. Could we, you know, could we have another take? Or, yep, yep, that was accurate. They also wanted to convey the true nature of military service. The military is not always operating with complete information. That war is confusing, and it's chaotic, and you have to make decisions on the fly. A little bit of a spoiler alert here, but you start this experience in this Black Hawk with this description of, okay, here's this guy, you're going to go get him, he's at this compound. It's like, right, I'm going to go in, I'm going to get this guy. You get in there, it's the wrong guy. It's not the guy. <laughs> you're not in the place that you thought you were going to be. These aren't the people that you thought were going to be there. And what do you do now? When the soldiers discovered weapons and grenades in the kitchen, they didn't yell out, jackpot! Instead, the main guy right in the front turns to his commander and he says, jackpot, about that quiet. You know, just nothing, absolutely flat affect. And I turned to the commander and I said, is, is that right? <laughs> Isn't he going to say jackpot? <laughs> he looked at me like I was about six years old. And he said, no, ma'am, he's not going to raise his voice in that house. He's not going to yell jackpot, ma'am, when there are insurgents in the next room. I thought, oh, right, right, okay, yeah, that's fair. But it was it was a strange um, challenge in how to make it like compelling and engaging and real when we had all these stereotypes of what we think this is supposed to look like. And that's not what it looks like at all. It's very calm. It's very methodical. It's very precise. This is their day job. They know how to do this cold, and they come in, they go to this wall, then they go to that wall, and they cover each other, they come around the corner, they find the thing, and any kind of, uh, I don't know, stereotype, expectation that it's going to be this big dramatic moment, this, it's just not real. It's not a big dramatic moment. They're going to find what they're going to find. They're going to find the guy they need to find. And they're going to move on to do another raid. Because this is, this is their job. And it's their job to bust into someone's house that has weapons in it and put their life on the line. One of the big results for me was that I really developed engaged empathy. Um, I don't have a strong military background, and my uncle was in the Army and was a helicopter pilot, but he passed even before my parents were married. So I don't have a, a long history of military service in, in my family or a lot of contact with military people. So one of the big messages for me was spending that much time with the soldiers from the 1st Division and just getting to know them. and getting to talk to them about their kids and their family and how much time they've been overseas and what it's like when they come home and um, 
you know, and then to hear that they were deployed again, it just it kind of it it hit me in a place that it hadn't hit me before. And most of the soldiers were young. The sergeant she worked with the most was a rock star. He was so great. He just organized those guys and was incredibly helpful to us. He was 23 years old, and he had been overseas a number of different times. And leading these guys in these dangerous situations, he's been doing that for years. He's 23 years old. You know, I don't even remember what I was doing when I was 23, but I certainly didn't have other people's lives in my hands. After my VR experience and conversation with Barbara, I have an even deeper appreciation for those who put duty first. Thanks for listening to Season 3, Episode 8. There may not be another one. Manifred of Everything is me, Jed Stoneham. You can find more episodes at getafraid.com. Theme music by FF Lowbeats. Thanks to Barbara Seidel at Northern Light Productions for taking the time to speak with me. Twice. I'm still mortified our first recording didn't work. If you like the show, subscribe and tell a friend. Get afraid.